see that little tiny light when that thing is back there. It was me. Yeah. I, I didn't have it on. No, it's okay. Because I messed up too. You know, I never know who it is. So I might as well check. You know, mom had to pull my britches up. You know, I mean, I'm, not supposed to, I'm not supposed to do that in public. Mom said, no, you should not pull your britches up in front of people. It's just not proper. I said, mom, I'd rather see them, you know, have people see me pull them up, you know, while they're right here as opposed to when they're down around my ankles. You know, so we'll just, we'll just deal with it. Uh, you know, speaking, speaking of being home uh, and talking to my mom and, and dad, uh, mom and dad were sitting down watching the news together uh, just just a couple nights ago, and dad was uh, watching, paying particular interest to the to this news article that said that men, on average, speak fifteen thousand words a day. That's a lot of words, isn't it? But then it went on to say that women speak on average 30,000 words a day. And they started having a conversation about it. Trying to figure out why, you know, it is that men speak 15,000 and women speak double that. And my dad said, oh, I know, I know very plainly, honey, exactly why it's that way. It's because you have to repeat everything you say to me. She said, is that really been the problem after all these years? You, you just don't listen, don't pay attention. He said, what was that? Sorry. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just going to give that to the ladies. I'm on your side. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Come over to ours every now and again, too. Oh, my. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. So thankful you're here. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Forehand, for bringing that wonderful communion meditation and stuff. Thoroughly enjoyed that perspective. I never really thought of it quite like that. I thank you for that. I know you all were blessed too. And it's always a blessing to, to be surrounded by the, the men of God who, who preached the word and, and who did it for so long so faithfully here in this congregation. So welcome back. Uh, let us pray now as we enter our time of study together. Father, thank you for all of your many blessings and for bringing us here into this place to worship and praise you. Uh, Lord, we just cannot be any more thankful for anything or anyone else besides Jesus in this life. He's done so much for us. Lord, it seems like sometimes we do so little in return. So Lord, let this be a moment of worship for us now as we hear the, the word that is brought this morning. Uh, Father, that, that we would not only hear it, but that we would put it into practice in our lives, that we would do what it says, or that we would either be convicted or, or comforted in our lives. Uh, Lord, to, to follow after you, Lord, but that we would also uh, use it, Father, that, that we might tell somebody else just these wonderful blessings that, that we have in our lives that, that they might have as well. They would just hear you speak to them, Lord, like we've listened to you speak. There's so many of us in this room who have answered your call of salvation, and we're thankful for that voice of yours that, that called out to us in our time of, of deep need. So, Lord, to those who are saved today, who have been bought by the blood of your Son, washed and cleansed and the waters of his baptism, and now living in newness of life, I pray that this word just continues to, to strengthen them, strengthen us as we go about our days. But, Lord, for those who have not accepted your Son in this room this morning, who have not, Lord, asked for his salvation, asked for, for you to come and fill their being, to not be cleansed by, by the waters of baptism that they're not living yet in newness of life, that you would use this word this morning to, to help pull them back closer to you. Lord, bring them into, 
into your ways and into your goodness. That way we might all say collectively with one mighty voice, Lord, you are God, you are good, you still save. Father, we come now humbly to this word that speaks so much salvation into our lives, not just once, but every day. Lord, use me as a vessel only to pour out as I've been poured into. May be your words and not mine. I speak in Jesus' name. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. If you'd like to look, it is uh, in your bulletin as well as, whoop, we hit the button at the same time, as well as on the screen for you this morning. Psalm chapter 73, beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to read the entire chapter. This is what it says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, and their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens, and they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say... How would God know? And does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on assuming, well, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it deeply troubled me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by, by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me up into glory. Who am I, whom have I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. 
to be as up to date as possible this morning, I went online Friday evening and searched through several news sites to look over the local, national, and world events of, of just that day. Now, this was in an attempt to, to try and find how secular culture has been thwarted. That's why I looked. And I really didn't have to look very far. Just to see how it seems that culture is starting to, to overtake what at one time and still to this day should be considered morally right versus morally wrong. And I, I tried to find some good, and it was extremely difficult. I did, however, find one little cute news article that I really enjoyed, and I, and I read most of it. How a little boy was able to encourage his town's mayor to put up turtle crossing signs so that they wouldn't get run over in the road as he had been noticing out in front of his out in front of his school. But that was that was just about it. So after sifting through a lot of the disturbing news, I just want to give you three headlines, one from our local news from our state, the Daily Pope, or Daily Progress, wrote this story uh, and reported it after it had been reported by CNN. I want to show you one from our national news and one from, from our world news. The first in our state on Friday, the Daily Progress again reported what CNN had, had written, that a federal judge in Virginia ruled in favor of a transgender former student telling a county school board it must recognize him as a male in a win for transgender rights. In our nation, CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network, reported that shortly after announcing via Instagram that he was kissing Christianity goodbye, former U.S. pastor and author Joshua Harris was recently seen marching in Vancouver's Gay Pride Festival. He left the ministry, told his congregation they were going to pursue something else, and that something else was, was totally void of God. They left, professed, leaving Christianity altogether. Then in our world, Fox News reported that Pentagon Inspector General reports claims that ISIS is experiencing a resurgence in Syria. There is much more to report, but all this was reported in just one day. Just one day, just Friday, this was reported. You go back to Thursday and you find even more. You go back to Wednesday and you find even more. You go back to even just Saturday and even looking on the news today that's still enveloping and unrolling before us. And, and there is more news that just continues to stack up against it itself. And when you look at some of these statements like the ones I have read this morning, does it not seem like the wrong is winning in our world? Does it not seem like that, that the wrong is, is gaining a great foothold in our world? What is, what is not right has now become what is right, it seems. That what is obviously not of God is, is taking hold and it's gaining prominence. 
And the people of God suffer as, as a result of this. Now, have you ever looked at, at such things as these or, or people that are a part of, of such things? And you think to yourself, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. I'm doing everything I can to, to keep my nose clean and struggle with that. And they get to do whatever they want. They get to do all of this and nothing happens to them. But I could never get away with it. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever said that statement? I could never get away with that. Do you know why we say that? It's because we thought about how we could, more than likely. I could never get away with that. constitutes the fact that we thought about just how we could. And then that's when we go as, as far to say and, and to think, what if I did do that? What if I did go that way? Whether it be like the stories in these news articles or so many other things our world can influence us to do. Ways to solve problems and satisfy self. What, what if I did do that? And then in those moments, sometimes don't we actually come close to, to doing it? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't just come close, but, but you actually did it. And I'd like to share with you this morning that you are not alone. I just want to tell you right now that you are not alone. Not just in this gathering of people, but in the witness of Scripture. You are not alone in having human feelings about the things that are taking place around us. Listen again to this passage that we have read. The first three verses that sort of spell all that's taking place in this passage. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Do you hear that? My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, we don't know much about this psalmist other than his name, Asaph. We do not know if this actually is the man's personal name. We, we don't know that. It, it could be just a simple term referring to what we would call today in our times of gathering, the worship leader. This may be not a name, but a term that refers to the worship leader. But regardless of who this person was specifically, this is what we need to take specific note of this morning. That this man was of the Levitical order. He was the priest. He was, the, he was one of those who ministered to the people on God's behalf among the Jewish nation. This is who this man was that wrote this psalm. He ministered among the people of God. And he most likely wrote this psalm. Get this. You listen from his own experience. It had to come from somewhere, didn't it? He most likely wrote this from his own experience. So imagine that you're a Jew who shows up to temple worship on, on this particular Saturday morning, because that's when they worship. 
And, and you go into the building, and you grab your bulletin, you sit down, because this was the days before PowerPoint. I know, it's hard to imagine, right? Uh, but, but you grab your bulletin, and on the, on the inside, there are some words, or some over-exaggerating even that a little bit. And the worship leader says, okay, open your bulletin, and we're going to sing this new song together. I just wrote this song this week. Won't you sing it with me? And I tell you something, it would not be the drums being played too loudly that would be causing some questions to come about that morning. You start to sing this song and you say, hey, you wrote this this week. Ooh, what you been up to? <laughs> really, I read this song and I'm thinking, you know, I kind of wish I knew what he was talking about. I kind of wish I knew what he was referring to, but... But I like the ambiguity sometimes because it allows us to put in that place maybe the thing that almost caused us to slip. That almost caused us to stumble. Because here's a good life lesson for you if you didn't already know it. That preachers and ministers are people too. And though this sort of thing is hard to, to swallow at first, I find this sort of honesty extremely refreshing. Because it's in moments like these, especially when it comes from God's Word, that we realize that we're not one. That we're not all by ourselves in this struggle we call life and service to God within. You see, this man's real problem in this passage as we come to find it's not the wickedness of the world the man's real problem in this passage his honesty is not the wickedness of the world no his problem is the fact that he envies the world he envies the people of the world he calls them arrogant but he wants to be one of them have you ever been there before you know it's dead wrong, but you want to be a part of that somehow. You start thinking about how it could fit into your life. I have done the exact same thing. How could I justify this? I know what God has said, but whoo, that looks like fun. That looks like something worthy of being a part of. How, how, could I, how could I become a part of this? That's what envy is. It's, it's a longing. It's a desire. It's a want. And in this case, it's to want what the wicked has. And in my opinion, this Levite, from this context, has already begun to sin, for he's lusted in his heart after something that he should not have. My feet had almost slipped. He had begun to lust after this thing. He almost fell off the rock of his salvation. And he says, I nearly lost my foothold. Jesus is the rock. Amen. Our salvation is, is that unchanging, steady rock, despite all the shifting sand that, that surrounds this rock. From this rock, his foot had almost slipped. In verses 4 through 12, he goes into great detail of just how he feels about the people of the world who don't struggle in their wickedness as, as they go along. Listen specifically to verse 5. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. They can do anything they 
on and nothing happens to them. At least from his perspective, this is how it seems. These people seem to be invincible, imperious to nothing. Not only do they claim this about themselves, it's what the psalmist says, but it seems to be true to him. You know, we do everything we can to keep our noses clean. I'm going to be honest with you, I do the very same thing. If you tell me that you're not tempted to sin every day, I'm going to call you a liar because the Bible already did. That's just the truth. David says, I can't go a day without sin. And he had some significant problems. But, beside the point, it's in the Bible, it's the truth, truth for us as well. Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot hardly open your eyes in the morning and get up out of bed and not be tempted in some way in that however long period of time you're in to be tempted. If you turn on your TV, I would dare say it starts pretty quick. Probably even faster if you grab your phone, turn off your alarm, and open Facebook. Even faster. The devil is getting really good at putting the temptation right before us. And I'm not knocking these things because I use technology. I do it too. But the devil's gotten really good over time. You, you give a man time to get better at his craft, and he will. He's not going to get worse. He's going to get better. And Satan has definitely refined himself and, and his ways over time. We do desperately everything we can to keep our noses clean like the psalmist and he even complained to God. Again, that's sort of been the theme of the scriptures we've been looking at for the past four weeks. He complains. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Woo! That sounds rough. But have you ever thought about that? Have you ever... Have you ever done that woe is me party? You're the only one who comes to the party, but you're really going to have a, a time about it. Woe is me. This is, this is wrong. It's all, it's all messed up. Why, why am I even doing this when everybody else seems to be fine and there are no consequences for them, but every time I turn around, there's always punishment for me. Done everything to be good and it's the wicked steeped in sin that are making out better than I am in this world. That's the key. And it may seem like they're making it out better in this world. They have no perspective of what lies beyond this place. But in just a few moments, sometimes we wonder, would it be worth my time to switch sides like everybody else? We lose the perspective of eternity and begin to focus on the now. Why don't I just switch sides like everyone else? And it becomes easy to convince ourselves when we are listening to Satan as opposed to God when he says, why not? Why not? Your faith is frustrated and you're tired. God doesn't make any sense in your life. Why would he allow this pain in your life and in the lives of the ones that you love, he didn't care about you. Why not just let it all go? Why not just let your faith go and do what everybody else is, is doing and, and 
not have to worry about anybody declaring a way of living that they say is better. Does this not look better to you? It's in those moments when we realize, just like the psalmist said, my feet had almost slipped. I almost lost. Whoops. My foothold. Hang on to that notion. I forgot to slide. My feet had almost slipped, but I, I almost lost my foothold. I want to share a story with you. Yesterday, I went back to the church uh, that I served at before I attended here. And I went back to attend the funeral of, of my mentor, uh, Ernie Johnson. You all probably don't know him, but I do. He was the minister who ordained me. He is the one who I served under for my internship at Johnson. He is the one who recommended me for my first full-time ministry position to follow him as, as the next minister. He's the one who believed in me. When uh, I'm sure there were a lot of other people who did, but you know, some people believing in his passion on the back. Ernie just kept pushing forward. Kept pushing forward. He was a wonderful mentor and, and a wonderful friend. But while I knew him, the entire time I knew him, he was dying. Ernie was dying a slow death from liver cancer. He had cirrhosis of the liver and not the kind that you get from drinking. There's another type that's genetic that's handed down through the family. And uh, it does the exact same things. In fact, they say it's actually worse. You suffer more and you suffer longer. Because it's the body that's attacking itself. And it tries to fight with all that it has left. And uh, I would watch during my internship, especially as he would as he would suffer this great pain, and he would get up to preach, and he'd get about five minutes in, and he would pass out from from pain. And we'd have to help him out and and continue the the service in in his absence. The people were very kind about it, but you could tell it just hurt his heart. And when he passed, he was less than the person that I first met as far as his personality and who he was. He had been slowed way, way down. And during this time, I, I wondered up until this week, even, even maybe just yesterday, why God would allow him to suffer from a disease that he did nothing to bring upon himself. That he had not harmed himself for, for this to happen. But, but I want to tell you, church, this, this is what I learned. I have learned to pray, Lord, make me, make me like that. Because he never asked why. He never even talked to me about the hardships. Other than he'd say, I'm just not feeling well today. But he would never say, why did God do this to me? I'm his minister. I'm his servant. Why, why would he allow it? He never did that. In fact, one of the wonderful things I remember about Ernie is when he first went in the hospital and I was brand new and we were supposed to have every week an intern meeting where we just talked about topics of ministry because that's how the internship went. I went there to, to learn from someone else who had been doing it far longer than I had. And he was in the hospital and, and I just needed to go visit him anyway. And, of course, my mind wasn't on the meeting at all, but that was what was supposed to take place that week. And so as soon as I walked through the door 
Ernie said, oh, it's so good to see you. Let's begin our meeting. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? He said, I would like to show you how to perform a hospital visit. The man is laying in the bed. He told me to walk back out, get hand sanitizer at the door, come back in, and then we talk about, walk through, how to do a hospital visit while he's laying in the bed. My prayer and what I've learned is, Lord, make me like that. Make me like that. Help me to accept, Lord, what you give me with grateful thanks. Because I realize, Lord, that this life is not mine. And you have promised something greater beyond just this. To pray every day, as Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Lord, make me like that. Anybody else feel like they need to pray that prayer? I ask again, does anybody else feel like they need to be praying that prayer? It's hard. But Lord, make me like that. We can want and lust and envy all day long over what the world has. But it is all for loss. Of the wicked, the psalmist said, Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream. When one awaits, when you arise, O Lord, you despise them as fantasies. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. They are nothing but a daydream. Church, we may seem to forget many days, as the psalmist did, that this world was not made to last forever. God intended to be in peace with people, but when sin entered it, God put a hedge around the tree of life. He sheltered it so that man could not eat from it, so that we would not live forever like this. Live forever in sin. Live forever in struggle. Live forever in pain. Do you want to live forever like this? When you ain't got nothing else to live for, maybe you do. Like the people of the world. Live it up while you can. Let them eat cake and be merry. As we've heard from the annals of history, for today we live, but tomorrow we die. A terrible perspective. Let us live for Christ. Realize to die is gain. Church, we need to come to the reality that our bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. These dying bodies need to be transformed. Our spirit, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 12, verse 2, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be transformed because this life is not going to last forever. Though the wicked say, how does God know? Does the Most High know anything? God simply says, I wish they only knew. As an old song reads like this, trials dark on every hand and we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But He guides us with His eye and will follow till we'll die. For we'll understand it better by and by. By and by when the morning comes, when all the saints of God have gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. Church, this is not scripture, but the idea is very much steeped in it. In this life, 
you may understand all of what's happened to you in every circumstance. Good for you. But for most of us, we're only going to see bits and pieces. And heaven is what it's going to take to reveal the rest to us. There was a man who came to Jesus who was born blind and the question was raised, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? I love how Jesus responds in the good, in God's word translation. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Instead, he was born blind so that God could show what he could do for him. Not for everybody else. But God could do for him. When our life circumstances, our trials seem unfair, we should ask God, what do you want to teach me? Instead of asking, what are you trying to do to me? We should ask God, what are you wanting to teach me? Instead of, what are you trying to do to me? When we ask questions such as these, like, what are you trying to do to me? We'll wind up just being like the psalmist who said, when I tried to understand all this, it just troubled me deeply. When I think that God's just doing this to me just because, that He doesn't care, it's just going to trouble us. But here's what made the difference for Him, and this is what will fix our gaze and our perspective as well. It troubled me deeply, He said, till I entered the sanctuary of God. It troubled me deeply until I came into God's presence. Then I understood their final destiny. And in saying so, He also understood His. Church, this world is on the fast track for total destruction. God is allowing each person to make their own choice, whether for Him or against Him. I pray today that you've made your choice for Him, that you might be sealed for all of eternity. All the days of our lives, even when it gets tough and hard to understand, and it seems unfair, may we sing aloud those who redeemed with the psalmist, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says, God is enough. Whatever I'm going through, he says, God is enough. Those who are far from you, they will perish. You will destroy all the unfaithful to you. But as for me, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Whenever you get alone in your troubles and circumstances, ask yourself, am I near God? He is saying in these troubles and these circumstances, my feet have almost slipped in this world. It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. I'm going to tell them how the Lord got me through this time. That's why he wrote that song. So that somebody else might be encouraged the next time. Maybe that somebody is you. Maybe that somebody is me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here and giving us this time to gather and to worship and praise in your name. I just pray now that as we, as we come to this moment of, of invitation of this time of, of not just me inviting people to come, but you inviting people to come. That Lord, if there is a struggle in our heart and our life, if there is a burden, some sort of strife that's taking place, Lord, that you would show it to us. And you would show us, Lord, that you are enough for whatever that is. That you would show us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you will show us, Lord, that all things are possible with you. For those who believe and hope in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is enough. So Lord, help us to say enough 
of these struggles, these sins, this wickedness in our life and say that you are enough to fill those holes and gaps that we think need to be filled. To put more of you into our life, Lord, that we might be blessed. That whatever comes in is of you and whatever goes out is of you. May this be not only our, our prayer and our attention, May this be something that we focus on, strive to do for you. For Lord, you are enough. Lord, I pray for anybody whose feet are slipping. I pray for anyone whose feet have slipped. That you will be gracious and forgive them. Just as you've forgiven that psalmist. Just as you forgive me. For the Lord, you shall forgive others. Until time is over. Lord, we give you our heart. We give you our life in this moment. Pray that you speak to us. That your words today might be enough for whatever we're going through. In Jesus' name. Amen. I offer an invitation to anyone who needs.